So we pick up where Sean left off, continuing from Matthew 21, where the religious authorities asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And these things that he is doing are, or were, proclaiming the good news, bringing sight to the blind, healing to the sick. He has fed multitudes miraculously. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. And then he entered the holy city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, which was a sign of royalty. He charged into the temple, overturning the tables and driving out the money changers. This encounter with the chief priests and the elders of the people took place the last week of Jesus' life. So that's the context for our reading where I'm picking up. So after Jesus refused, as we heard, to answer the question about his authority, he asks those asking him a question, another question in the form of a story, a parable, as was often his way of making a point. He said to them, what do you think? A man has two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go to work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said, the same, and he said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to enter the sovereignty of God ahead of you. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And after that, And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe. Novelist Barbara Kingsilver tells a story from a remote province in western Iran. The story begins with a couple walking home from their morning work in the wheat fields. They're talking with one another, laughing and enjoying each other as they walk, until they see this young, slender teenage girl who was left in charge of the babies of the village coming toward them. She is crying and beside herself. She tells them while she was tending one of the infants, their toddler wandered off and she couldn't find him. The mother and father run to the hut, look in all the familiar hiding places, calling his name, no response. They go to the neighbor's huts, searching the entire village. No little boy, he's gone. A group of neighbors set out into the rocky and arid outskirts. They climb the valleys and hills. Night falls. He can't possibly survive. He's only 16 months old, and there are bears in the mountains. In the morning, at first light, men of the village set out and this time go into the mountains, searching the caves where the bears are, fearing the worse. After entering into the fifth cave, they hear a cry. Slowly, cautiously they enter, smelling the distinct aroma of a bear. Their eyes adjust to the dark and they see the bear, not crouched to attack. It was a she-bear lying against the wall, curled around the child, protecting him, caring for him. King Silver states that this is a true story. She says the bear was a lactating mammal who had lost her cub. You could say impossible, she writes. Or you could read and think 
how warm lives are drawn to one another in cold places. There is that unquenchable force of a mother's love, that mysterious part of our DNA, which is in each of us, that sometimes can be awakened to have us reach out to one another in compassion and kindness instead of suspicion, fear, or violence. Now, I don't know if the story about the bear and the boy is true. It doesn't really matter. I'd like to believe it is, of course. But for me, it speaks of our connection, our belonging as children of the Maker. Social scientist Bruce Lipton writes, for a long time, scientists have known that biological imperative, that inherent drive within us that motivates us to survive, it's activated in every organism on the planet from a bacterium to the most advanced creature by reading the environment around us and when we sense it is safe or when we sense there is a threat. If there is a threat sensed, our survival instinct kicks in and we'll do whatever is possible to protect ourselves. As I read that, I wondered, is this what's going on for those in power in Jerusalem? Jesus was teaching and doing things that was a threat to them, not so much to their lives, but to their very existence and sense of who they were, to their power, their way of life, and to their authority. So they tried whatever means possible to discredit him. Eventually, they thought they had won through eventually the crucifixion. But what if, just what if they had acted from the core of their DNA, if they had listened to that interior voice, like the mother bear in the King Solver story, awakening that trait of compassion and kindness, that ability to listen to one another, even though there may be great disagreement. This is what Jesus is all about, helping us look at things differently, teaching us the heart of compassion, getting into another skin and seeing how they view the world, how they see life. This is what belonging is all about. As Joseph Petner puts it, part of being in a community is that we all have some basic human needs. They're all the same. We want to be loved. We want to have people hear us. We want to have friends. We want to feel that we're making a contribution to our families and our communities. We learn about understanding what someone's interests and points of view are by interacting with them. To include everyone is to open up those possibilities for learning and appreciating our common humanity. This is why the church exists. This is why Jesus' teachings are all about tolerance, acceptance, compassion, and love. Reminds me of Jean Robinson, former bishop of New Hampshire and the first out gay bishop of the Episcopal Church. He once said, we have this great tradition, he wrote, of being able to encompass a wide range of folk. That is truly the gift of the church. It's the greatest gift. We don't have to agree on every single issue in order to find our unity in the great love of Christ. 
he continues, we're going to be in heaven together. We're going to get along because God wouldn't have it any other day, any other way. So I figure if we're going to get along in the long run, we might as well start practicing right now. I love that. In Jesus' conversation with those in power, he then goes on to tell a story. And a vineyard is a backdrop similar to where we are in the Gospel of Matthew right now. We looked at this two weeks ago. Another vineyard story. This time, there's work to begin. The landowner is a father with two sons. He goes to them asking for help. It seems that one is the helpful son and one is the lazy one. Sounds like the prodigal son story. Good son, bad son, right son, wrong son. One honors the father with a yes, while the other disregards the father with a no. And then Jesus flips the story like he flipped those tables in the temple, and the sons do the opposite of what they said they would do. You would do that? I do that a lot. You know, when Jesus tells stories, he often doesn't do any explanation further than that. He usually doesn't elaborate, but here he elaborates just a little. He asked those who were asking him who honored the father in this story. The religious authorities say the first one, the one who said he wouldn't do the work and then went and did it anyway. You know, our words aren't enough. It's our actions that reflect our love and show what we really value. We say a lot with our tongues, and we get ourselves in trouble because we make statements and blanket statements, and we dismiss people. And yet, what's our heart? What's that DNA within us really saying? The chief priests and the elders were put to shame as Jesus continued, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the sovereignty of God ahead of you. Meaning, those considered outside the boundaries of the kingdom, they heard John's message and it changed their lives. The religious leaders, not so much. These, the outcasts, the undesirable, they will be first in the dominion of God. But like Robinson said, we're all going to be in heaven together. We're all going to get along because God wouldn't have it any other way. So I figure if we're going to get along in the long run, we might as well start practicing right now. And that's why we're here. It starts here, here now with us. Belonging as children of the maker allows us to, uh, means that we can allow that part of the DNA that's within us, of how we're wired, to be compassionate and kind and to motivate us not to put up walls or barriers or labels like progressive conservative, like Republican Democrat, straight or gay. Bernie voter or Trump voter or Hillary voter, Christian or Jewish. You see, in the realm of God, we're all included as part of the family. And we might as well start living that way today. We often say where our unity is found is not in our conformity, but in our diversity. 
How might we live into that in such a way that we can really bring about transformation and have a compassionate stance toward everyone? For this is truly what it means to belong.